contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. As you know, we're presented by BetOnline.ag. That's your online sportsbook experts. They're the exclusive partner of Podcast One Sportsnet. Use that promo code PODCAST1, all caps, PODCAST1, O-N-E. Receive the 50% sign-up bonus today, betonline.ag. Got a great podcast for you this week with my colleague, professor, writer, Michael McCann, talking about Robert Kraft in New England and the Patriots and the brand and everything about it. We'll get a deep dive into that after my rant of the week. We talked a lot about Major League Baseball free agency, and finally those two stars have signed as we hit uh, March. Manny Machado, $300 million, San Diego Padres, Bryce Harper, $330 million in Philadelphia, where I am. And again, the populace is excited. They had no choice in Philadelphia because the owner had talked about spending stupid money. The expectations had been raised. They didn't get Machado. They're the only team negotiating, really, with Bryce Harper. They were negotiating against themselves. They had the populace waiting. Yes, they got him signed. They almost had to. It was an easy negotiation with the Phillies, in my mind, for Scott Boris. I'm going to do this as I do every year, compare baseball contracts with football. And I think everyone gets focused on, well, 33-30 over 13, that's only 25 a year, as we say, only 25 a year. And there's some NFL quarterbacks making more than that. <clears throat> My focus as it is every year is on the guarantee. Um, it is extraordinary that two players just signed for $300 million or above. Because not so much because of the number, because it's because the number is guaranteed. The number is real. You know, next week we're going to see NFL free agent contracts. They won't be anywhere near that, but they'll be maybe 50, 60, 80, maybe even $100 million for one or two of them. And we'll look at it and say, oh, my God, $100 million. But again, that won't be $100 million. If it was baseball and it read $100 million, if it was basketball and it read $100 million, it'd be real. But it's not. It's football. And what NFL teams manage to do over and over again, even for the players with the best leverage possible, is get only one or two years guaranteed out of the contract. In other words, the out years become option years. And whereas in baseball and basketball, the agents, the players long for years because years mean guarantees and years mean security. In football, the team would gladly give years. Years are easy because the years don't mean anything past year one or year two. I mean, in Pittsburgh with the Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bells of the world, one year. That's the only guaranteed money in Green Bay where I was. One year. That's it. Now, I understand people say with these quarterbacks especially, well, you know, it's going to be guaranteed. Of course, they're going to play out these contracts and be guaranteed. You know, and players are making $25 million and the Staffords and the Derek Carrs. And, well, no. If it was that easy, the team would guarantee it. If people were just saying, well, of course it's guaranteed, they're going to play it out. Well, if that was the case... Teams should just guarantee it, but they don't. And there will be those cases of those quarterbacks that seem no-brainers to play out the contract. That won't. Maybe Derek Carr is the next one. And this is why the guarantees are so important, because you can get cut. You can stink. 
but you still get paid. What do you see all these buyouts in the NBA? These guys are going to get paid because they have guaranteed contracts. So again, the difference between Bryce Harper, 13 million, Manny Machado, 10, uh, 300 million, 10 years, 13 years, is that the years matter. The years are real. You know, as of today, those two guys are going to get paid for 10 and 13 years. If it was football, they, we know they get paid for one or two years after that. Who knows? <laughs> That's why it's so different. I think, you know, and I hear the arguments, oh, come on, Andrew, you know the roster size, you know the they play 162 in baseball, only 16 in football. Yeah, I'm aware. And football's got more revenues with those 16 games versus 162. Oh, come on, Andrew, you know the roster sizes. Yeah, I'm aware. And paying all those players in football, the franchise values are more valuable. The revenues are more. So if you want to talk about roster size, well, Major League Soccer, they have less players than football. They play more games. Should they get more paid than NFL? Come on. It's all about revenues, and the NFL is able to do it. And once again, the NFL players, when it comes to player contracts, especially the security, are sitting at the children's table. That's my rant of the week. Uh, It'll be more talked about as we get into NFL free agency next week. Now, word from one of our sponsors. I've had the CEO on the podcast. His name is Angelo Poli. It's MetPro. They're a proven platform to help people transform their bodies. This is from athletes, C-level executives. They get into your data. They challenge generalized health guidance, teach people how to manage their weight, achieve their performance goals. And it's not guesswork. They're using your individual data to identify best nutrition training for you. In terms of nutrition, people don't know what they're doing. They'll master your nutrition, take it to the next level. They'll do your metabolic profiling with experts that translate them into simple action steps. They know you're busy. People like me, they're busy, have stressful lives. They do a lot of stuff. So they'll work one-on-one with you, identify your specific response to diet and activity, make adjustments based on your personal goals and your lifestyle needs. So go to MetPro and go to enter in BOS. So metpro.co slash BOS. Again, metpro.co slash BOS. Use the promo code BOS to get right to MetPro. Now let's get to our guest this week. It's Michael McCann. You know him from Sports Illustrated where he writes so eloquently and taking complex matters and making them simple about all things legal in sports. And I think the important thing for Mike is he's taught a class in Deflategate at University of New Hampshire Law School, like me, a law professor like me in the media, and very solid. So there will be lawyers. I got two of them here. Without further ado, Michael McCann of Sports Illustrated in New Hampshire Law School, talking with me about one of his favorite topics, the Patriots, Robert Kraft's latest legal troubles, and where they go from here. Here's Mike McCann. You know my saying on Twitter, there will be lawyers. You're about to hear from two, (laughs) myself and Michael McCann, my esteemed colleague at Sports Illustrated, someone that's a go-to guy for some legal issues beyond my expertise. So happy to have him on the podcast. Welcome to Michael McCann. Hey, Mike. Hey, Andrew, th- thanks for having me on. Yeah, always a pleasure. And the last thing I want to do with you is typecast you, but I got to say, <laughs> you're the go-to guy <laughs> when issues relating to the New England Patriots seem to come up. I had you on Deflategate <laughs> a few times, or the end of Deflategate, and now we're dealing with uh, an issue with the owner, Robert Kraft. So again, I'm not typecasting you here, but 
always good to have you when issues arise in Beantown with the Patriots. They've given me some work, so I, I can't <laughs> complain. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. So what I wanted to do is sort of break down what happened in Jupiter, Florida with Robert Kraft and solicitation for prostitution, kind of look at it from a intellectual angle, from the law of the state of Florida, the law of the NFL, the public opinion court, sort of a deep dive in all different ways about this. And we're very early in it, just happening now in uh, late February as we record in early March. Tell me your as a fan and also a commentator analyst, tell me your initial reaction when you heard the news about Robert Kraft solicitation for prostitution. Give you a blank canvas here. What's your first thoughts? So my first thought was I was in my car driving mm-hmm. and I had CNN on the radio and I wasn't paying attention. And then there was a press conference and then they were talking about it in Florida and then they mentioned Robert Kraft in the context of human trafficking. And I thought, mm. I must have misheard that, right? I, that that just doesn't <laughs> right. make any sense. So then suddenly I started listening very intently and it was the police chief in Jupiter talking and they went back. They said, well, you know, this is a bust for human trafficking. Of course, the reporter's questions were focused on one of the 25 men who had been charged, that person being Robert Kraft. And I was stunned. I just, just shocked. And you never expect anything like this. And certainly it's embarrassing for Robert Kraft. I think as we look further into the story, though, the human trafficking part, though, though relates perhaps to the larger context of the police's investigation, really doesn't link up with Robert Kraft. Robert Kraft has been charged with two misdemeanors for solicitation. There's no evidence or allegation that he knew anything about human trafficking, that, that this had anything to do with human trafficking. In fact, the, the women that, are, that he reportedly had sexual contact with apparently worked for employees at the spa. So although this story has gotten a lot of attention because of the human trafficking portion of the police's investigation, it, it doesn't appear to match up with Kraft. And of course, he would be charged with very very different and more serious offenses if he was connected to that part of the story. But still, even, even as misdemeanors, it's, it, it's a serious story because I think it's shocking. Right. Then we learned that, that, that he allegedly was there the same day the AFC championship came in. It, it's, it's a shocking story. I want to just sort of address the, the people who've conflated the solicitation charge with the human trafficking story. Now, again, you and I are lawyers. We're trying to step outside this. We're trying to be analytical. And it seems to me, as you said, it's wrong to have any connection between the two. What is your response? Because I've been asked this too, to people who say, well, come on, does Robert Kraft think these women are there voluntarily? He's, He's adding to the problem. He's he's supporting the trafficking by going there, and he's not an idiot. He knows what goes on in there, and these women probably look like they're not there voluntarily. You know, just sort of that pushback. I'm wondering what your response to that is. 
Well, well, I would say this. I would say apparently there are hundreds of men who have been caught, whether many of them have not yet been charged, but some of them have in this sting operation, if we call it that. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's unlikely that they knew that there were, that what they were doing was connected to human trafficking. And also I would say, you know, a couple things. One is that the specific women that craft allegedly had contact with apparently were employees. One of them being, I guess the manager is what I've seen reported okay. that, that, it, that to the extent that there was human trafficking, it doesn't appear that the women with whom Kraft had contact with apparently were not part of the group that were trafficked in. So I, I while that, while the charge that men that had relations with women who had been trafficked in should have known better, maybe that's true, but I, I don't think it's true with Kraft based on what we know. And then secondly, based on the police's description of the video, I don't see in that video, at least the description, we haven't seen the video, but it doesn't appear to be that, that, uh, that they were being forced into something, at least in terms mm -hmm. of, you know, somebody saying there, you have to do this to Robert Kraft. That's not the depiction of the police narrative. And maybe it's because that these specific women were employees rather than being trafficked in. We don't know. We haven't seen the description of the men who allegedly had uh, sexual contact with the women who had been trafficked and maybe, maybe the depiction would be different. Maybe it wouldn't, I don't know, but I would just say that, you know, to, to conflate the two, particularly when what we've learned about the specific women with whom Kraft had contact with, I, I think it's, it's not fair to Kraft because it doesn't appear that he had anything to do with that larger topic. That's not to say that the topic the other men should have should have known better. Maybe, maybe they should have. I have no idea. But I, I do think that there's a distinction, and, and we have to be objective about this. Let's put yourself in position of representing Kraft. He has pleaded not guilty. He has denied through a statement from his lawyer, and I guess a statement from the Patriots. Meanwhile, we're we're seeing graphic details of a police report of an affidavit. And uh, I believe, I didn't hear the full story on this, but a traffic stop on the first day, it was consecutive days after he visited the spa, which identified him clearly. So I guess, I guess my question is, what do you think of the strategy of deny here when it seems like there's a mountain of circumstantial, albeit circumstantial, evidence against him? Yeah, I mean, I think the lawyer, my, my guess is that the lawyer is thinking this will just end in a plea deal, that the initial pleading will be not guilty. But as you mentioned, there there is really a mountain of circumstantial evidence. If we've been told of course, you know, that's an important qualifier. We haven't seen the video. I'm sure the craft wants us to never see the video, but uh, until we, we don't have access to the evidence. So based on what's been, what's been described and also... The relevant Florida statute, it's 796.07. It doesn't actually even require solicitation for the mm. solicitation crime to have been proven. It requires solicitation or inducing, enticing, or procuring. And we know some important things. We know that he is shown on a video, from what we've been told, uh, paying a woman with a $100 bill and another bill after having already paid at the front desk for a massage. So there were mm. two separate payments if it was 
only payment for a massage, why was there a separate payment? And right. then, then the second day, from what the police have described, there was no massage. That the video describes Kraft as hugging a woman, disrobing, going on the massage table, and then having sexual contact with that person. If you're paying for a massage, right. there was no actual. So I, I think, and also, if he was shot the first day and offended, why did he go back the second day? Right. It's, it's, right. It is a mountain of evidence. And I, and I think, and I know people are going on Twitter and sort of coming up with theories. I, I also think if you're Kraft's lawyer, you tell him, do you really want to be the person that tries to claim it, that, you know, do you really want to play this out and make arguments right. in pleadings that, you know, that it's not technically solicitation. I mean, that's PR wise, that's a pre that, that, that could have a lot of downside. And then lastly, Florida has a diversion, pretrial diversion program for misdemeanors involving nonviolent first-time offenders where if you participate in the program, the charges later drop. That doesn't help Kraft with the NFL, but it's a program that, that would probably be pretty beneficial for him in terms of the law. He would avoid any jail, he'd pay a fine, maybe he'd do some community service, but it certainly would be a, a, a resolution that avoids a lot of the further embarrassment. So we talked about the court of Florida and the legalities there. Really appreciate that. Now the court of the NFL and Roger Goodell, which I'll weigh in on first, get your thoughts. Obviously, we've had some limited precedent. We've had Jim Irsay with some pills and substance abuse and a suspension there. We've had other owners disciplined with fines. Robert Kraft, of course, disciplined for the Flategate, the organization. What's your thought? on what could happen here. It seemed like the statement from the NFL, the second one was just kind of call off the dogs. Nothing's going to happen anytime Mm -hmm. soon. So they have some cover for timing, but your sense of what would happen, understanding as everyone knows, this is not going to affect the product on the field. He doesn't play, he doesn't coach, but do you see him going away quote unquote for a while with Jonathan Kraft taking over? What's your sense of the NFL's response here? I think the NFL has to look at this and if they focus, if they try to conflate human trafficking with what Kraft is specifically alleged of doing, that would be pretty bad news for Kraft, right? If they, if this becomes a story that isn't really about what Kraft did or what he knew, but if this is about sending a message to that, the NFL cares deeply about human trafficking. And if Kraft is used sort of as, as an example that would be pretty bad for Kraft. I don't think the NFL is going to do that. I think the NFL will look at this and say, let's wait and see until how this plays out. I mean, most likely this plays out in a plea deal and Kraft pays a fine and these are misdemeanor offenses and he acknowledges responsibility. He apologizes Uh, to me. That would lead to a a fine, maybe a suspension. Uh, As you noted, Andrew, uh, Ursay got a what a six game suspension maybe right. something along those lines. You could argue though that was more serious if you're driving while intoxicated. You could you could kill someone. So right. in a sense that I mean I think you can make a moral argument that that is more troubling than uh, solicitation. Again, I, these are you know hard questions ethically, right. but I, but I do think driving while intoxicated is is much worse on the moral scale because you could kill or maim someone. Um, so I would say you know, he would be looking at a fine or, or a suspension. The Some of the more draconian punishments that we've heard, that he should lose the team, 
we know that's not plausible. And mm-hmm. 23 of 31 owners aren't going to vote out an owner, especially somebody who's as established as Kraft for, for misdemeanor offenses. And, and you, you referenced, could he be told basically or, or pushed aside so that Jonathan Kraft takes over? Maybe, although I would say this, he, I don't know if this offense would lead to that kind of sanction. And then secondly, he is 77 years old, so I presume that there's already been some transitioning of authority, some delegating of more and more authority to Jonathan as, as Robert Kraft nears 80. This is probably inevitable anyway. Maybe this expedites that, but I, I don't think this is going to lead to, you know, a statement saying Kraft is forced retirement or something like that. I mean, I could be wrong. I just think that it's, I don't think he'd want to end his, what, what's been a pretty, if we judge the totality of his life, he's been a very impressive, charitable person. And, right. you know, I, I don't think the NFL wants to, to end on or to judge him exclusively on a, on a mistake that he made late in life. Yeah. And to clarify my point with the Jonathan taking over, my sentence was thinking if there was a suspension, uh, not obviously not yeah. indefinitely. Yeah. To have sort of Jonathan be the face of the team for, X number of weeks while he's on a, a league-imposed suspension. So we've talked about the court of law. We've talked about the court of Goodell, the court of public opinion. I mean, you're up there in New England. How, you know, this is the public shaming factor, right? So the Patriots brand is clearly identified among three people, Belichick, Brady, and Kraft. One of these people is suffering some consequences now of a compromised position. How is it going so far in your mind in New England in terms of the public shaming? And I know it's different outside of New England. And what do you think the lasting impact will be? I think there is shaming. I think that there's ridicule. Um, I think that there, there, there are the, the humorous attempts that really shouldn't be done. I mean, this is a serious topic. And, and uh, I, I think that that's part of the narrative. But I also think that that while they're shaming, there's also recognition that we should judge him based on what he's been charged with and not mm. the larger specter of the story. Um, and, and of course, the Patriots fans are going to be more inclined, just like Eagles fans or Dolphins fans or whatever group. Right. You know, they're always going to rally around their either their coach or their quarterback or, or the team owner. Uh, but I, I think here, I, I don't think that I, mean, I think Kraft, because he's done a lot for New England, we know that he, you know, he bought the stadium, preventing the team from being relocated. He, uh, he hired Bill Parcells after the franchise was so awful for so many years, and drafted Bledsoe, and and that sort of re rekindled fan interest in a team that was just ignored for a long time. Mm-hmm. And he's identified with the person most responsible for the team's success. Obviously, Belichick and Brady play major roles, but institutionally, without Kraft, the Patriots are probably playing in Jacksonville or St. Louis or somewhere else. So I I think he'll always have that. His legacy will be the guy that kept the Patriots and that hired Belichick. And and then prior to that, obviously, Parcells didn't win a Super Bowl, but he still kind of infused credibility into the franchise that it was lacking. So I, I don't think this will be this will be his defining characteristic. I think I think people will look at this and say he he's a human. He makes mistakes. Uh, everyone makes mistakes. He got caught. It's pretty embarrassing. But 
if we judge him based on the totality of his life, it, it's, it's still a pretty positive life. Yeah, and I think some of the um, the attempts at humor, I mean, are are kind of led on by the timing that you mentioned earlier, the day before and the day of the AFC Championship game, which is being played far away from Jupiter, Florida, in Kansas City. I know we have private jets and all that, but the timing does lend itself to some uh, <laughs> some right. embarrassing does, comments. Does. Yeah. Um, so as we, yeah. as we sort of final you. comments, go ahead. I'm sorry, Mike. Oh, no, I was, I mean, I think that, that that's a really, I'm glad you brought that out, but that people are saying, what, what's he doing? Why, why, why would he, I mean, why would he ever do this generally, but why would he ever do it in that circumstance? Right. I guess the question then, now, you know, let's put ourselves quickly in a PR stance advising Robert Kraft beyond the legal. And I know lawyers will advise, as you said, sort of work towards a plea. But PR-wise, do you think he should make a statement? Do you think he should come out? Do you think he should have a press conference at the Combine? Do you think he should have a pre- – obviously, at the owners' meetings, there's going to be cameras in his face. Uh, he's pleaded not guilty. So what would you advise him PR-wise here? I would advise him probably to say nothing just because I think at this point – his lawyer can probably negotiate a plea deal, probably to the diversion where he just says, you know, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Mm-hmm. I, I would try to synchronize the PR and legal strategy just, just so that Kraft doesn't say, I mean, he's obviously a sophisticated person, but I think, you know, I think whenever someone's talking about a personal issue, they're, they're maybe not as disciplined as they would otherwise be. And right. if he were to do a press conference and make a mistake or say something that, complicates the legal story uh again he's obviously well spoken he's super smart but you know sometimes with personal stuff i just think it it's best to say nothing and i think this could be synchronized so that the legal and pr are done at the same time where he does a plea deal he says i'm sorry you know he says he's going to change i mean who knows what he'll say in that situation but i would try to link the two and also i think the storm is a little bit past because we now know the story and he didn't say anything at the height and it's probably going to dissipate a little bit as time goes on. So you're right at the, at the owner's meetings, there'll be cameras, but he'll have to, I think he'll avoid them. Yeah. I mean, that sort of brings up my final question about, and again, and again, you and I aren't, uh, aren't celebrity gossip people, but the sort of question <laughs> about, about God help, Robert God help us. <laughs> Yeah. Definitely not. I'd be out Robert of work Kraft, if I had to do that. <laughs> I know, both of us. Robert Kraft, the person, you know, he's an interesting guy because, you know, I saw him at the Super Bowl hanging with with Michael Rubin, who owns Fanatics, who's, who obviously leads a different life, and Meek Mill and Cardi B. And uh, on that one side, and, and I know Robert Kraft has a young girlfriend, much, I mean, I say young. Compared to him, I don't know the exact age, 30-something. Yep. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. On the other hand, we know he's also a friend of the president, uh, which is diametrically opposed to some of the the socializing he does on the other side. So I guess sort of your thoughts on Kraft, the person, now with this kind of complicating factor thrown into the mix. I think he's a complicated figure. I think he's also someone that values friendship 
maybe more than ideology that mm. he, I, th- I think nowadays we, we sort of put people in boxes, right? Especially right. given how you know, the, the political spectrum has become so kind of extreme that I, th- I think Kraft maybe is able to navigate more in the middle where he can be friends with president Trump through their prior dealings while also, uh, you're being able to have friendships with, with those that are, are, are more entertainers and maybe more progressive. I think it harkens back to the politics that you and I remember, right? From the eighties yeah. and nineties, it was a different, different era where I don't think things were as polarizing and you know, maybe because he has that experience, he's better able to, to be in that space. It's a great answer. And we'll close with that because I think you and I are, are ex- excellent examples in a much different sense of, not being put in boxes, <laughs> you know, we're, right. we're law, right. we're law professors, we're commentators, and uh, we just put together a nice podcast. So, Michael McCann, thank <laughs> you for being with me, and uh, thanks for commenting. I won't type past you on the Patriots anymore. We'll talk about other stuff next time. Hey, I'll take any any role. Thanks for having me on, Andrew. Hope you liked hearing from Mike. It was a really interesting conversation about the law of Florida, the law of the NFL, and the public shaming court of public opinion about Robert Kraft. Now word from Peter Millar. You know, I was never loyal to one brand of clothing. Then I got my first Peter Millar performance sports shirts game changer. I have all kinds of clothes from Peter Millar and I wear them for so many different things. No matter what you're doing during the day, you're getting in running meetings, grabbing lunch. These shirts are always comfortable. Peter Millar clothing is just better. Stitching buttons, zippers, attention to detail, and the sports shirt doesn't need to be dry cleaned. Sports shirts, quarter zips, they all look great, make me look sharp. I can go from work to dinner feeling great, looking better, wearing my Peter Millar. They have the appearance of a classic cotton shirt, but they're designed from innovative technical fabric that's extremely breathable. So head over to PeterMillar.com slash business, all caps, B-U-S-I-N-E-S-S. Experience this quality for yourself. Pick up some of these performance shirts in a multitude of colors, perfect for office or weekend. While you're there, make sure to stack out some of my personal favorite styles. Use my link. You'll receive complimentary shipping and the free Peter Millar hat. That's Peter Millar, M-I-L-L-A-R dot com slash business. Peter Millar dot com slash business. Now it's time to hear from you. If you've got a question for the podcast, leave me a voicemail. 484-416-5654. 484-416-5654. This week I have a call about my old team, some of my old fans in Wisconsin asking these questions. Let's hear from Chad. Long-time Green Bay Packer fan and thought I would come right to the source. Uh, I'd like to get your opinion or hear you talk to the point of knowing the Packers have had arguably the best quarterback in the league uh, for beyond two decades now when you combine uh, Favre and Rodgers, yet have only come away from um, their terms with two Super Bowl victories. Uh, how do you feel about that from a, a fan standpoint? Obviously, they're doing well financially uh, due to the expansion of the stadium and all of the things going around the stadium. But as a fan, I would argue that the organization has somewhat uh, failed in regard to its progress, considering there's only been two Super Bowls over the course of this time. Thanks for taking the time. I love your show. Look forward to listening to it every week. 
Take care. Thanks, Chad. I mean, these are questions I get a lot being from Green Bay, you know, with the Packers for so long and having the luxury of Brett Favre for all those years and, and Aaron Rodgers rolling right into him and two Super Bowls. Listen, Super Bowls are tough. There's only one team that wins every year. And I know the Patriots have these the numbers and the five or six, and you talk about a couple other teams, but how many teams are even talking about two over 20 years? I don't know, three teams, four teams? So these are the kinds of questions that are tough because I know fans get spoiled. Listen, we've gotten close a couple times. I mean, my last game with the Packers was that incredibly cold game where Tom Coughlin's face turned fuchsia. Minus two degrees, we went to overtime, and Brett threw an interception, and we didn't go to the Super Bowl. It was one of the most disheartening plays of my life. And there was another season we had the Eagles down. We would have gone to Carolina. We probably felt good about beating them, going to the Super Bowl. And again, the fourth and 26 play by the Eagles to keep their drive alive. So frustrating. Um, just seeing it play out the way it did. These things happen, and I guess you just have to get used to them. I don't think there's some blame you're going to put on anyone in terms of the Packers only having two Super Bowls. I just think these things are tough. You know, you go into the these games that are so final in January, and things happen. Fourth uh, and twenty six happens. You know, uh, the the Giants had that magical run that year and ended up beating the Patriots in the Super Bowl. The Patriots were seventeen and zero. So I don't know what to say. Uh, obviously Green Bay is doing well financially. Competitive balance is working. Thankfully, it's a salary cap league. Thankfully, it's an incredibly revenue-shared league. You'd think that Green Bay gets the same revenue that uh, from the NFL in terms of shares as Dallas, as New York, as L.A. That's a great thing for the Packers. So it's all, all is well in Green Bay, and I do think Aaron Rodgers will have more Super Bowl or Bowls in his career. So I'll go on a limb and say that. Thanks, Chad. And again, anyone can leave a question for me, and I'll answer it here on the podcast. That's 484-416-5654. Now another word from Bet Online, the exclusive partners of Podcast One Sportsnet. Whether it's NBA, college, NHL, golf, you name it, sportbetonline.ag has you covered. Use promo code PODCAST1 for a 50% sign-up bonus. March has all the action, NBA, college basketball, NHL. Sign up today for that betonline.ag. Use promo code PODCAST1. You get your 50% sign-up bonus today. What's going on? NBA, NBA, the Warriors, the Bucks, the Raptors, LeBron and the Lakers. What's going on with them? College, Tennessee's at the top, but look out for Duke. Always steady Virginia, Kentucky, both Michigans. The NHL, you got Tampa, New York, Winnipeg, Calgary at the top, but Vegas, can they repeat their magic? Toronto and Nashville staying close. Anyway, go to betonline.ag, use promo code PODCAST1, get your 50% sign-up bonus today. Betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. That'll do it for this week's edition of The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Appreciate you listening as always. Appreciate you following me on Twitter at Andrew Brandt and leave those comments. Apple Podcast rankings and comments always appreciated. And we'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. 
Thanks for listening to the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts are found.